The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. Um, I am the uh, vice president at Autism Spectrum Therapies. We're an agency that's providing services and support to individuals and families um, with autism. Um, We work across the country providing a number of different therapies, ABA, occupational therapy, speech and language, um, as well as uh, general parent support, uh, particularly in this new insurance world and landscape that that we find ourselves living more and more in. Um, I'm a BCBA or board certified behavior analyst myself and um, have the opportunity now to work in a, a few different states, meeting, talking to a few different people. I'm really excited about today's show, today's guest, um, and I want to get to that uh, a little bit quicker than I normally do, but didn't want to jump in there uh, right away um, and wanted to just share about something really cool I saw and and some inspiration that I got just this past uh, couple days. Um, I found myself up in in the Pacific Northwest uh, talking to uh, uh, some families, uh, meeting a a lot of different people, and I came across just these, these ideas, this amazing concept of a, uh, a school where it was geared to preschool age, early elementary school age, where they were really working together to, to create a real inclusive environment, really looking at bringing a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, not just autism, uh, a lot of developmental disabilities or even some physical disabilities, um, and creating a real inclusive setting where typically developing kids, kids on the spectrum, kids with different needs are all there, supported working together, um, kids of all ages, and they just had this, you had this feeling. You just, you, f- you felt good when you walked in. You felt good when you talked to different people. And it was really exciting to, to see everyone in action, see everyone interact, um, because they were all learning from one another. They, they, they all felt like they were part of their own community and this team. And what I thought was probably the most exciting aspect of this program and not this inclusive piece, which was amazing. What they actually then staffed the school with adults, adults with different developmental disabilities. And they were working there. Their, their jobs were there. Some of them were doing janitorial work. Some of them were cooking and working in the kitchen. Some of them were aides and supporting different classrooms. Um, But it became this, just massive inclusive environment where not only were the little kids getting their early treatment, getting their early intervention services or uh, uh, exposure to early academics and and getting ready for 
elementary school and middle school and so so forth. But now you had adults who felt as involved and as committed to the community because they were serving and and staffing and working in that community, in this unit. Um, And they were telling me that they had workers there, people who they've been, this has been their job in, in working at the school for 20 years that helping, supporting the community. And you saw different, actually, articles and, and, and features on them. And it was just really exciting to see. It was kind of this little microcosm of, of so much of what we've talked about on the show is, is how to bring people together in, in a real supportive and educational way. So I, I was just really excited. It just gave me a lot of hope for kind of everything we've been talking about, everything that, you know, the themes of the last year um, – especially after having last week's show where it was so much of kind of me sharing my thoughts. It was, it was nice to see some of those thoughts actually in, in practice and in reality. Um, so let's get to the, uh, this week's show. I am, I'm really excited uh, to be joined today by Temple Grandin. Um, I think most of you guys know Temple really well um, in, in you know, advertising on Facebook and spreading the word that she was going to be the guest. I, I know so many of you guys were just really excited um, that she was going to be on. A um, little bit about her bio and, and her background for you guys. Uh, she was born on uh, August 29, 1947 in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Temple was diagnosed with autism as a child and went on to pursue work in psychology and animal science. She's become a leading advocate for autistic communities and has also written books and provided consultation on the humane treatment of animals. Um, Temple has been recognized by the academic community and the general public for her work. In 2009, she was named a fellow of the American Society of Agricultural and Biological Engineers. Uh, she's a recipient of several honorary degrees and has been featured on a range of television and radio programs. In 2010, HBO released an Emmy Award-winning film on Grandin's life, which continues to strike a chord with audiences. Temple's willingness to, to honestly share her challenges as well as share her passionate perspective with depth and resonance has made her a very popular as well as a very busy speaker and presenter. Uh, Temple, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, it's great to be here. Um, I'm really excited that you know you have so much going on and you've inspired so many people but you're, you're working on a, a lot of different things right now that I think just go so well with a, a lot of different conversations we've had. Um, and one of the things that I think is really interesting that I want to start with was something that you've been working on really uh, quite a bit and you, and you write about quite a bit in, the, in your book, um, The Autistic Brain, is this idea of history of diagnosis. And like one of the very first questions that I feel like comes up and I even sometimes think about is we're so focused on today and on this show, I know we talk so much about the future that a question comes up a lot of why is understanding the history of diagnosis an important thing? Well, I think it's an important thing because first of all, diagnosis is not precise. You know, the diagnosis of tuberculosis or, and, and things like that, that's remained the same. But, you know, since the 60s, uh, the diagnosis of autism has changed a whole lot. You know, it used to be considered a psychological disorder. You know, now that's known to be rubbish. You know, mm-hmm. the problem is, is that diagnosis of things like autism and ADHD, they are behavioral profiles. They are not precise, like doing a lab test for tuberculosis. And when Richard Panic and I worked on the autistic brain, 
I was really kind of shocked when I first laid out all the different DSMs right beside each other, and you could see how it changed. And the other thing that concerns me, since it is a behavioral profile, it covers a wide spectrum. You've got kids in there going all the way from Einstein, who had no language till age three, to Steve Jobs, to somebody that's going to remain nonverbal. And I'm seeing uh, uh, too many people getting locked into the label, like the kid just becomes the label. Mm-hmm. Because when I go out in my world in the meat industry, in the cattle industry, I'll see people that are mildly autistic that run the maintenance shop, maybe they run the IT department at a big corporation, and um, they've got good jobs. And, uh, and then I'm seeing uh, too many, especially kids on the high end of the spectrum today, becoming their diagnosis where that becomes their total identity. And I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, autism is important to who I am, but it's secondary to the things that I've done in the livestock industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. With, you know, I want to I, touch upon a point that I want to get to later, but with, with the diagnosis, and, and being that this is something that's changed so much, and as you said, it's a very subjective thing, you know, the DSM-5, it, it just came out. I know there's a lot of changes there. Do you, is there a trend you've seen with that? Or there, is there anything to be concerning when you look at, here's the history, and then this is where this diagnosis well, is going? Well, the big thing they did, let's just explain a little history. In 1980, yeah. they finally had a firm diagnosis for autism. You had to have delayed speech and onset before 30 months. So that made a pretty mm-hmm. clear autistic diagnosis, which I definitely was that, because I had no speech at age two and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and then they, a little, little bit later, they added the PDD-NOS, but then in the early 90s, they added Asperger's. Now it was mm-hmm. possible to get on the autism spectrum and not have speech delay. You see, that was a very, very big change. Mm-hmm. Then basically, the Asperger's is based on, um, you know, the kids that are just really, really socially awkward, you know, kids that used to be called geeks and nerds, and there's no black and white dividing line between the two. Then the latest version in the DSM-5 that just came out in 2013, they took out the Asperger's. They now have this new category called social communication disorder, which they try to say is not autism. But you mm-hmm. know, the thing is, is that social communication is one of the core deficits in, in autism. And, and the whole thing with speech delay has been just made like murky and muddy. You know, it just mm-hmm. talks about communication deficits. And, and so... What's happened now, it's just the whole thing's just become kind of muddier. And you see, the problem we've got in schools today is if you don't get a diagnosis, you can't get services. Right. And, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of kids on the high end of the spectrum um, sometimes getting held back by the diagnosis. So, you know, what I've been seeing is, yes, it gets you services. And I got into very, very good early intervention. That actually was uh, two teachers in the basement of a house. Mm-hmm. doing ABA-type stuff, but they didn't know they were doing ABA at the time, you know, to get my language going. Sure. And, and uh, but I'm seeing kids are just geeks and nerds that ought to be out in Silicon Valley uh, mm-hmm. not learning basic skills and things. They go, oh, poor little Tommy's got, you know, got autism, so we'll order his food for him. I go, no, Tommy needs to learn how to order that himself. And Yeah. Um, this, this is the thing that really bothers me is I move back and forth between the two different worlds because you have a spectrum that's going through such a wide range. If somebody mm-hmm. gets diagnosed with, with dyslexia or diagnosed with ADHD, you've got a person that's fully verbal. Mm-hmm. It's not such a big range. Mm-hmm. 
It almost sounds sounds like all these constant changes, like the fact that you've pointed out in what thirty years there's three or four significant changes That's you right. mentioned, and there's I know there's even more changes prior to that, but it how can we be? I, I it almost feels like we can't be consistent in what we do to either whether it be treatment, whether it be. Um, the way we think just as a community, if everything's changing, how can we be consistent and actually make real progress? Well, this is the problem. It's not, it's not, a, um, it's not a precise diagnosis like tuberculosis yeah. or you got hepatitis or something like that. That's a very, very um, precise diagnosis. So the lab mm-hmm. test that absolutely confirms that you, that you have it. The other thing that's a problem is the spectrum is so broad. You know, you might mm-hmm. have a teacher that knows how to work with maybe the nonverbal kids, but doesn't understand a smart kid that ought to be being challenged in science. Yeah. And, and uh, because they, what's happening is they see the label. See, this is one of the things that's a really difficult problem. Now, how did something that was so different get this same um, label? Well, when you had the speech delay, back before the Asperger's came on the scene, yeah. kids at age two or three, they all looked the same. And then you work on them really, really hard with ABA and whatnot, and maybe half of them or 70% of them start talking and, and, uh, and they kind of break into two groups. Uh, mm-hmm. But when they're real little, they look the same. Now, the most, but most of the Asperger kids, they're getting diagnosed around, you know, seven or eight years old because it's socially awkward and they don't have friends. Mm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense the way we, we've always... It's almost reimagining the spectrum, too, just in terms of how age factors into it, because well, it's, I think that's a big part. Well, you see, when the speech delay, well, that's obvious. It's going to be little kids. I, now, yeah. I tell parents, don't get hung up on diagnosis. If you have a three-year-old that's not talking, the worst possible thing you can do is nothing. And if it's mm-hmm. in some place where there's no services, well, then get some grandmothers, get some students. You've got to start working with that kid. Teaching, turn-taking. You can't just let them zone out on electronics. That's the, absolutely the worst thing that you can do. You've got to work with the kid, teaching them words. Uh, I, the, my uh, nanny played a lot of board games with me, teaching me how to take turns. Got it. Yeah, no, it, it, makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I think, I think what you're saying about the fact that how much you can do, even if there's not services, just there's so much you can do if you – have people and, and, and you sit down and play games and, and teach well, right, what, let's what say you the can. Kid is, uh, let's say the kid's obsessed with the iPhone. I don't mm-hmm. know. There are three-year-olds today where iPhone is their first word. And, uh, and let's say this kid just wants to play with the phone. Well, we're going to turn it into a turn-taking game. Okay, I get to look at a video or something, then you get to, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I went to a really nice school in Australia that used ABA to jumpstart language, the real little mm-hmm. ones. Now, when the kids were three and four years old, they did lots of activities with turn-taking, and they used electronic devices, but the kids had to take turns. They had, like, you know, two or three kids in little chairs, and mm-hmm. they had to walk up to the electronic thing and take their turn while the other kids watched. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all activities involving anything electronic in the kids under five always involved interaction with a teacher. Yes, they had iPads there. They had all that kind of stuff. But it was always used along with a teacher doing an interactive activity. They were not letting these kids just zone out on the iPad by themselves. Yeah. Well, we've got a we've got another 
break we've got to take, or I guess our first break. So let's take a break and we'll be back and talk more with Temple. Be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Holy hormones, honey! Every week, this groundbreaking radio show brings you insight about hormone fluctuations, addressing the core biological issues that cause mood disorders, and offers a general support center for women everywhere at any stage in their lives. Host Leslie Carol Botha has the passion and drive to help you make informed decisions about your well-being and reclaim your life. Holy Hormones, Honey, sponsored by True Hope Incorporated, the leaders in brain health, is broadcast live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Joined today by Temple Grandin. Um, You know, I wanted to change gears a little bit. Um, You've been talking about a couple of things and in a, a blog I read, uh, in uh, different speeches and articles I've read lately um, about work. And yes. it's actually something we've talked a lot about on the show is, is preparation for adulthood. And um, I, I was hoping maybe you could, if anyone hasn't been or isn't as familiar with, with some of what you're saying, you know, why, why do you feel like work or what specific types of um, work preparation are, are really come to the core of, of of your message and your vision? Well, kids have got to learn how to do a job with someone else, mm-hmm. so especially a job that requires some responsibility. When I was 13, <coughs> my mother got me yeah, a little sewing job that she just set up in the neighborhood with a seamstress that did freelance sewing. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to be responsible because I was um, taking apart garments, and if I ripped them, 
that would wreck somebody's dress. But I was very proud of that job. Uh, when I was 15, I was cleaning horse stalls. I was doing carpentry work. You know, later on, college, I was doing internships. I'm seeing too many students on the spectrum graduating from college, and they have never done any work skills. And this needs to start around age 12. And I wish paper routes still had existed. Most places they don't exist, so we're going to need paper route substitutes. Things mm-hmm. like walking dogs for two neighbors, and you've got to be responsible. Uh, a lot of museums will take kids as young as 12 to be museum tour guides. These are the kind of things we need to be setting up, just set things up in the local neighborhood. I talked to one family out at the airport, and, and they knew a friend that had a little ice cream shop down the road, and they're going to have their 12-year-old scoop some ice cream on Saturdays. They've got to learn sort of that discipline of having a job. Another thing we need to be doing is, is, is getting interests that turn into jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, my ability in art was always encouraged, but I was encouraged to paint lots and lots of different kinds of pictures. You know, not the same thing over and over again. Now, what can we do about fixations that aren't all that helpful? Well, one of the ways you can do is to show kids interesting things, get them fixated on new things. Like, for example, I saw the optical illusion room in a science movie, and I got fixated on that. My teacher had me work on figuring out how to build it. There's all kinds of wonderful things. Um, for little kids, there's a wonderful thing called the Magiscope. It's a wonderful little kid's microscope, really, really easy to use. Look at all kinds of stuff under that. Things like MakerBot, 3D printers, that gets kind of expensive, but that's something mm-hmm. school can do in high school. You know, some kids are getting addicted to this Minecraft game. Well, mm-hmm. there's Minecraft Legos. But then what we need to be doing is getting some kids together, and they're going to do Minecraft Legos. We've got to get them pulled away from too much screen time. Uh, you know, but if you don't expose kids to interesting things, they don't get interested in interesting things. There's all think- kinds of fabulous stuff online for teaching computer programming. You know, I I read in a blog you you put on the Huffington Post, and yep. you were talking about some of this. The yes. just the idea of um, like the clubs, and and I think you That's talked right. about this in a few places. You had the the rock. You know, you were doing model rockets when you were a kid. I was doing and that model was rockets, a- and I had to build my rockets. I was just horrified the other day. I saw an ad in a magazine for model rockets, and they were already built. Really? Oh, that's the fun of model rockets is you got to make your model rockets. You yeah. Buy them. You buy you buy the some of the and ones I we bought. We would just buy the cardboard tubes. The nose cones were ready made, but we had to make all our fins completely by hand. Glue them on with Elmer's glue all. Um, no, you know you don't buy model rockets. You have to build model rockets. Well, I I was reading your article about just the cl- idea of clubs and classes and, yeah. and something really resonated for me. And, and I'm, and I'm just speaking as, as a person who went to high school with other kids and, and reading your article, it actually reminded me of a friend of mine who he was, he was a guy I played football with. He was a real good guy, real good friend of mine. School was not for him. He, he was not motivated by math. He was not motivated by reading, but he got really into actually the, automobile and aeronautics course we actually had a really good technology program at my high school and this he was president of the club he got straight a's in all of his technology classes and this was the one thing at school he loved and that's i thought of him the moment i read your article is how many kids whether they be just kids or whether it be you know kids on the spectrum who 
this is the thing they can get excited about. And are we depriving them of that? I think taking the skilled trades classes out of the schools is the worst thing that ever, ever was done. You know, we have a shortage in this country of diesel mechanics, auto mechanics, certified welders, electricians, people to work on the wires when they fall down after a hurricane. Um, taking that stuff out was terrible because for some kids, it's not for everybody, it is the thing to do. You know, and my career involves, you know, skilled trade type things. I learned, you know, how to do drawing. Now, another good thing kids can get into are SketchUp clubs where you draw drawings on computers of buildings, and then mm-hmm. you print them on 3D printers. Now, the pl- thing with me, the only place where I was not teased was the special interest groups, and that was model rockets, horses, and electronics lab. We need mm-hmm. to be getting kids into these specialized interest things, and I talk about this a lot in my book, The Autistic Brain. We've got to get them into things like band. Um, I know several kids where um, band is what's saving them and making school mm-hmm. worthwhile for them. You know, taking out these specialized things, that's the worst thing that schools ever did. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think back to, you know, I'm an ABA guy and I'm doing therapy, and I think of how many therapy groups I've seen for the ages we're talking about where they say, hey, we're going to do a lunch club and a social skills group, and a bunch of random kids are put together – Versus could you do social skills or could I do therapy or, or would I even need to do as much if we just based it around this is the band and we're going to find kids who are interested in music and band and make that the focus. Well, or, then you teach the social skills just it get taught. I can yeah. remember um, when, I, uh, when, I was, uh, taking, when I did model rockets. Mm-hmm. You know, I was good at model rockets. I, and I'd gotten a lot of awards for some things I did in my school. And uh, Mr. Carlock's science teacher who ran the model rocket club um, decided to, you know, that maybe we ought to give the uh, model rocket award not to me, but to one of the other kids that had worked really, really hard, one of the younger kids uh-huh. that, it, to, you know, he had a really hard time building his rockets, but he finally got them built, mm-hmm. and they gave the award to him. And I remember talking to Mr. Carlock about it, and, he, and I said, I understand why you gave that to Stewart, you know, because Stewart had made so much progress. Okay, that's learning some ethics and some social skills in Model mm-hmm. Rocket Club. Yeah. Well, and how much about it, too, is uh, you, you told a story. I, I think I read it in your book, The Autistic Brain. I think I read there, uh, you were telling a story, it may have been somewhere else, but of not just the discipline, but responsibility and problem solving. That's and you right. were relating it to by being in a job early on. You had to deal with the changes, the unexpected things that alter a plan, and then how you applied those skills when you were building um, one of your sites. Well, I think this teaches, you know, doing hands-on things. I built lots of kites. I built lots of airplanes. Mm -hmm. And I did lots of sewing projects, too, because for for girls in the 50s, sewing was really big. I really liked sewing. But the thing is, making things, it doesn't matter whether it's sewing or whether it's model rockets, you know, things go wrong. You have to figure things out. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's not good today is kids are totally getting away from the physical world. And mm-hmm. I think and if you get away from that, I think you lose sort of a practical problem solving. And, and I think it's a real concern. We've got some kids today that, well, they don't know how to sew on a button. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how much of that, you know, you, you've talked about electronics, and I think this is a really interesting distinction. It's, you know, you, you're – on the one hand, we're, we're talking so much about technology and computers and how you can use this, but how much of it now is all the stuff we're talking about is, well, I can do that on a computer, you know, rather than 
uh, build a model rocket, I can, you know, play this video game and launch a model rocket. Yeah, like, but is it, it just work the same way. And I was on the MakerBot website the other day. They make the uh-huh. uh, 3D printer, entry-level 3D yeah. printers. It costs about $1,500, $2,000, you know, a couple of football uniforms worth of money. You can get this really cool thing. Okay, so I designed my thing on the computer, but then when mm-hmm. I go to print it on this mechanical device, that, that mm-hmm. spews out hot kind of plastic resin stuff. If I don't mm. design it right, that printer can't build it because it mm-hmm. will collapse. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, it, it, it doesn't always work the same way in the, in the real world. And I thought yeah. it was very interesting. I saw a thing on a banner go across one of the news uh, casts that some executive at eBay was going to, like, get his kids off of computers because he wanted them learning the science that's inside. You know, kids today aren't interested in how a phone works. We were mm-hmm. kids. We were taking all kinds of stuff apart to figure out how it worked. <laughs> I worked with a young man who uh, he took his computer apart because, just like you said, he wanted to see how it – he took it apart to see how it works and then to see if he could put it back together. Did he get it back together? Yeah, he did. Good. He did. He put it back together. And, and to, to prove your point, actually, he's now – um, he's 20 years old, 20, 21 years old. Uh, he's a, a young man on the spectrum, and he um, is doing a job in the uh, technology field, working on computers, um, designing websites, designing a lot of different online uh, materials and resources. And you know, he has the job that all of his peers are in their 40s, in their 50s. He's a 20, 21-year-old kid who is just had all these skills, had all these talents, and he can problem solve in a way that no one else can because of these things. Like, he took it apart, put it back together. Yeah, and okay, he was working I know exactly with the help. physical thing. Yep. You see, because I went out and I visited Pixar, and I had an interesting conversation with them. They do all the animated, you know, you know like cars and all those sure. kind of shows. And, and, and they find that sometimes they've got to get the people off the computers because you've got to touch to perceive. Well, now mm-hmm. with the 3D printer, you can print out your thing, and then you can touch it. But you've got to touch in order to perceive things right. Mm-hmm. Makes, it makes perfect sense. I, it's, yeah, no, like I, I said, so much. I back to making stuff, and I've just been working on a new uh, presentation where I'm trying to like, find cool stuff where I can, I, have the, I can tie in their favorite game with um, a physical thing. You know, all right. Let's make let's let's print some of these like video game characters on the 3D printer. Now you it's, now if, let's say the character has an outstretched arm. Now, if you just ask the printer to print that, that will collapse an outstretched arm, mm-hmm. unless you um, in the program in a column to hold that arm up while it prints, mm-hmm. and then you have to cut the column off. But if you don't have a column to hold up the arm while it prints, it will fall off. It will, not, it will try to print it, and you'll just have gook on the, on the bottom of the machine. Wow. It's a physical device. That's the thing I love about it. Nice. It, it, it is a completely physical device, and the process it uses to do the printing is not electronic. Yes, it's controlled electronically, the motion of it. It's controlled by a computer, but it's a physical thing. And it's kind of a so, delicate little machine that you've got to be careful with. And... And uh, that's going to be it's an interface between electronics and the physical world. That's one of the things I like about it. Nice. Well, let's, let's take another commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to talk more with Temple. Be right back.
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Can Chinese medicine and Western medicine go hand-in-hand when you are seeking treatment or a path to better health? Absolutely. Listen each week for Sticking to the Point, Natural Medicine Radio with host Cheryl Hongzermeyer. We'll explain Chinese medicine, including acupuncture, in easy-to-learn ways. We'll even spotlight certain conditions that don't have any diagnosis in the field of Western medicine. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, we're back on Autism Spectrum Radio talking to Temple Grandin. Um, you know, I, one of the things I, I was really probably most interested in um, in reading your book was the, the brain scans that you did. And so, you know, what was what was the motivation? Like, why why go down this path? Well, it's sort of like you just want to find out how things work. You know, now there's brain scans where I can take my brain apart without dying. Uh, it's sort of like you know, we were little, we took old radios apart in the fifties to find out how they worked, yeah. and and it's sort of that you know urge to explore. And one of the problems you have in autism is you have uneven skills. The kid's going to be good at one thing, bad at something else. Like I am a photorealistic visual thinker, really good at drawing and visualizing, terrible at math. Another kid's a mathematician, maybe has some trouble with reading. And another kid is a word thinker. They think more in words. And I discuss these different thinking styles in the Autistic Brain book. Now, I also um, found out one of the reasons why my math, math is so bad. I found out my left parietal cortex is full of water. That really wrecked the algebra, algebra department. Found some extra circuits for visual thinking. Now, this brings up the whole thing about, about innate talent versus plasticity in the brain. Mm-hmm. I, I think where innate differences make a big difference is in extreme areas of talent and also in some areas of disability. But there's a lot of plasticity because the brain scans also showed that the circuit for speak what I see had greatly reduced bandwidth. In other words, I, you know, this new scanning method can track all little fibers that connect up the different brain departments, kind of like cables. And I have way fewer cables for that circuit than most people. But with a lot of speech therapy and lots of work, I was able to, like, the plasticity of those cables... Uh, enabled me to go from nonverbal 
Uh, I got better and better in my speaking. My first talk I ever did in graduate school, I panicked and walked out. So my ability to learn speaking, that's an example of plasticity. But you see there were some circuits there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, uh, you can't um, do plasticity if something's just not there. Also found out why I was so anxious, because my amygdala, mm-hmm. my motion center, was three times larger. And now that's controlled with a low dose of antidepressant medication, which really, really helped me. I want to emphasize that, that these uh, things that are found on these scans are not uniform across the spectrum. The mm-hmm. one thing that is uniform across the spectrum showed up in my brain is uh, problems with face recognition circuits and some of the social circuits in the brain. That is uniform across the spectrum, where things like visual thinking and math thinking and having the enlarged uh, fear center, that's not uniform across the spectrum. That is highly, highly, highly variable. We talked before about the diagnosis has been very subjective. It's yeah. changing. It's not, it's not concrete like tuberculosis, like, like you said before. No, it's not. And, and I know you are a big believer in understanding oneself. Let's treat the person, not the diagnosis. It, do you see f- a future for where a brain scan to me sounds more concrete? Well, and it is. Is, now, the thing is, if you look at the brain scans in the autistic brain book for the speak what I see circuit, it shows a normal cable bundle, mm-hmm. and it shows mine with a lot of extra bit bushes. Mm-hmm. which probably has something to do with uh, visual associative thinking. Now, the thing is, you can get extra bushes coming out on the way these circuits come out. Now, at what point is an extra bushes abnormal? That's not black and white. Mm. You know, like the normal one's just got a couple of little bushes, and mine's got uh, lots and lots of bushes. You know, I, I don't know, I, uh, you know, just tons and tons of bushes. Now, now, let's say if you start scanning the population, autistic people, people off the street and whatever, you're going to find there's going to be a continuous trait there of how much extra bushes you have on that circuit. It's not black and white. It's like when do geeks and nerds become Asperger's? Now, the thing in the left parietal area, yeah, that's more of an abnormality. That's more, yeah. that's more and that was done with old-fashioned type of scanning, actually. You know, that's mm. much more straightforward. But on tracking these fiber bundles... You know, as long as they're intact, you know, there's, there's definitely things that definitely be abnormal. But there's going to be a wide range where it's just normal variation. You know, when mm-hmm. does normal variation become an abnormality? There's no right. black and white dividing line. Mm. Yeah, because I, 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 hearing you describe the way your, your scan matches up with so much what you know about yourself. Oh, it does. It does match it, it, up. It makes me wonder if, if you could, could we get to a world where you read a scan and you're able to say, this is a visual thinker. This is a visual learner. Let me tailor what we do to them. And then do you almost tailor with, if we take interests and in the way someone thinks, can you really help them go towards the future and like find well, the right job? you want to be job? careful how you do that. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that sure. you're like, okay, I was terrible in algebra. I wouldn't suggest not exposing a kid to it at all. But mm-hmm. there's some kids that can't do algebra that can do geometry. Um, you know, and the thing is, like on my language circuit, it had reduced bandwidth, but it was mm-hmm. still there. And with a lot of work, I, you know, I, I um, you know, expanded that, that circuit and mm-hmm. was able to talk decently. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, you could, you could look at that and say, yes, there is problems with the speech output. Like I had trouble getting words out. 
That fits mm-hmm. in with what's on the scan. Another kid's echolalic. They yak out all the language, but they don't know what it means. I'm right. going to guess that their speak-what-you-see circuit's normal, mm-hmm. and they've got another circuit that's got some problems. But you mm-hmm. see that see, there is a lot of brain plasticity, but I don't agree with Malcolm Gladwell that if you have enough practice and enough access to education, you can just do everything as an expert. I think innate ability uh, does make a difference, especially where the innate ability is, like, extremely good or extremely bad. And then there's a big middle range where there's a lot of people that they take music, they can get pretty good at music. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, um, there's a ton of plasticity in there, too. But you would be able to diagnose things like, okay, we're going to work on therapy for getting words out. And that's exactly what my speech teacher did. The echolalic kid, you've got to teach him words have meaning. That's a little Mm -hmm. different sort of a thing than my speech teacher would push me to get the words out. And and she'd slow down so I could hear the hard consonant sounds Mm because I have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. But it it would be something that would be a lot more objective than just the behavioral profile. But the mm-hmm. thing is, when you do the behavioral profile really right, the social stuff, and I'm surprised they put social communication off in another category, because that's the one thing that if you look across piles of scans, it's uniform. Now, another problem we've got is to do these scans, you have to lay still in a scanner for 15 or 20 minutes, and the nonverbal kids are not going to do that. Right. From all the scan data that you got out there in the entire literature, it's just on the kids that will cooperate in that machine, because most people mm-hmm. do not want, are not going to anesthetize their kids to do brain scans. Yeah. So most the, of it the... is cooperative subjects. So what are the brain scans like of the one that's got epilepsy and is absolutely not cooperative? You see, that's mm-hmm. not in the sample. You see, unfortunately, mm-hmm. if you go through all the brain scan literature, the, um, the more severe uh, cases are not in that literature. And that was yeah. just brought up recently. I get science and nature and that was just brought up recently in a recent issue of one of those magazines. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even think about that at all. Um, well, I want to I transition to something uh, very different um, just because it, it – the thing that came up the most actually when we were talking to people, we actually posted on Facebook uh, that you were going to be on the show. And we asked our audience to um, – about questions that they had for you. Okay. And it was really – what was really interesting is some of the things, the most common things we heard um, next to thank you, because a lot of people wanted to send their thanks to you just for your work and your inspiration. But people wanted to hear a little bit more about you. And um, uh, the, the question I got from some people on Facebook, as well as people we were talking to face-to-face, was, um, you know, you live these – you live these two different lives. You've got this life that you have as a professor. You have this life that you have as, as, a, as an advocate, as a, as a speaker, talking about autism. Um, the, the question that I actually got quite a bit of was, is, is there some, anything from those two lives or something that from all your current experiences that's just bringing you a great deal of joy, something that you feel really, really passionate about, um, that you just get excited to do every I day. I get really excited on figuring out how to solve problems. I love the process of troubleshooting things, figuring out problems. I also get a lot of pleasure and a lot of joy when something that I do improves something. Like, okay, let's say I work with a, I did a lot of work with the meat industry to greatly improve the, the, the meat packing plants. That makes me really happy that I met the, uh, that the things I did 
helped make that improvement. And if you want to read about that, you can go look at Grandin.com or mm-hmm. Beef Plant Video Tour with Temple Grandin. But mm-hmm. then I also get a lot of joy when a parent says to me, oh, you recommended, um, you know, a recommended, uh, you know, enhancing the kids' art skills. I mean, that really worked. Or, or I solved some other problem with the family. I had I spent an hour on the phone talking to a family with a horrendous behavior problem with a teenage boy. And gave mm-hmm. him a lot of tips that, you know, there need to be some boundaries put on his behavior. And and um, he and then they, the parent writes back like a month later and said he was improving. Okay, that makes me happy. That's awesome. It- I think it's just so interesting, just going back to our previous conversation, that problem solving is what is really drives you in so many different things when that was such a big part of the inspiration for the work. Well, I and why it's interesting, it's interesting to, to solve problems. And, yeah. and I also like to, I really like figuring out, you know, practical ways to, to fix things, practical ways to do things. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of parents come up and say that, um, well, because of you, my son's in college now. Or because of one of your books, my my son is doing really well in school. Or my son's in band now, and loving it, and you help awesome. encourage that. You know that makes me happy because when I look at the happy aspects, when I go to my other life, there's really happy people on the autism spectrum do, do things like run the maintenance shop in a big plant. Mm-hmm. Now, where a diagnosis would help that guy would be in his relationships with his spouse. What I'm seeing hmm. on the high end of the spectrum, uh, I'm seeing sometimes a diagnosis holding them back on the job front. But where it's helpful is on the social, understanding why they are different socially. You know, there's adults that get diagnosed later in life, and I have another book on older adults uh, diagnosed later in life that had good jobs. Hmm. And getting that diagnosis later in life helped them with their relationships. You see, and that gives insight. But I'm seeing too many smart kids who come up to me at meetings. They don't know how to shake hands. They don't know how to greet. The parent does all the talking for the kid. No, and I say to the parents, well, let, the, let, the, let your son tell it, explain it to me. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got, we've got one commercial break we've got to take um, before we close up the show. So let's take this final break, and we'll be back for a little bit more temple. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, final few minutes with Temple. Um, you know, right before the break, you said something, and I feel like this has been a, a, a theme that I've heard of you or from you today. It's, you know, you were talking about this, this um, the relationships, and you were talking, you made a comment about meeting some kids where the parents are doing a lot of talking. I, it feels like one of the big pieces of advice I get from you is let's push our kids to do more. Let's push them and not necessarily coddle um, our child or, or create too many limits for our child because they have autism. But let's what push them to achieve. Is you've got to stretch this kid. You've got to stretch yeah. him just a little bit into his, into, out of his comfort zone. Now, you don't, yeah. you, you don't do the visual equivalent of chucking him in the deep end of the pool. You don't do sudden surprises. You know, when I was 15, I had the chance to go to my aunt's ranch, and I didn't want to go. So my mother gave me a choice of going for a week or two or going all summer. And it be a choice. She was not going to let me become a recluse in my room. But you've got to stretch them. When I was like eight years old, I put on my Sunday best clothes, and I was a little party hostess for my mother. That taught important social skills. My brother had to do it, too. He's not autistic. He's a bank mm-hmm. vice president now, and he felt it helped him on social skills at work. You know, he's a normal guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I actually enjoyed being a little party hostess. You know, I had the responsibility of uh, making it really nice for the guests, and I couldn't talk on and on and on, on too much about my favorite things. I had to be a little party hostess. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to stretch these kids. And, and I'm, seeing, I'm seeing too much of them where they're, they're held back. Now, on the other hand, one mistake that was made was pounding away on algebra, which was hopeless, and not going to other types of math. That was a mistake. You know, I was able to do some of the other types of math where algebra was just totally terrible. Uh, but they, you, you've got to stretch them. You've got to stretch them. And we've also got to expose them to interesting stuff so they get fixated on stuff, uh, on more constructive stuff to get fixated on. You know, and I got exposed to model rockets, so I fell in love with them. I got exposed to horses. I loved that. And I got exposed to optical illusion rooms, and I loved that. These were things that were expo- I was exposed to when I was in high school. If I hadn't been exposed to them, I wouldn't have yeah. gotten fixated on them. And the other thing is, they were activities that I did with other students. Um, you know, one last question for you with, with our final few minutes. I figured, um, I know you probably get emails um, all the time, people asking you questions all the time. Um, is, there, is there a question you find you that, you find that parents ask you more than any other question, and, and how do you generally respond? I get asked sometimes a very vague question of what's the most important thing to do for autism. Very mm-hmm. vague. Now, if the kid is three and he's nonverbal, I'm going to say lots of ABA, lots of other types of interventions. Uh, You've got to work 20 hours a week with them. You know, lots of and there's other types of therapies, too, that work. You know, and I'll say that if he's three. But as soon as you get older, I've got to know a lot more about him before I can say what's the most important thing to do. I mean, I can say some generalities like develop strengths and also yeah. um, what's the level of functioning. I'm not going to suggest that, you know, uh, you know, model rockets would not be an appropriate activity for certain individuals. They wouldn't be able, you know, they wouldn't be able to handle them responsibly. You know, I have to know more about the kid. Or they'll say, my kid has behavior problems in the classroom. Well, how old is he? What does he do in mm-hmm. the classroom? Have I got a problem with noise sensitivity? Have I got a problem with fluorescent lights? Have I got a problem with just being rude? Um, got a problem with him being bored? 
I've got to ask a whole lot of questions to find out what the kid's problem is. I can't troubleshoot it with that vague, overly generalized, top-down way of, you know, looking at it. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for being on the show. It was it was so great talking to you. I I, I feel like what has been really cool about our conversation and, and reading your book is as many answers um, and as many different, I guess, problems you've created solutions for, I think you've raised a lot of really cool questions for me to think about and that I want to spend more time researching and learning Wait, about. And let's so, take ABA, for example. You're an ABA analyst. Yeah. You know, little kids, yeah, ABA works great. Jumpstart language, it works just great. Right. And, but then I'm seeing older kids that are really bright. They're doing all this, like, rigid ABA stuff. I'm going, wait a minute, that's not appropriate. Um, you know, this is a kid that, um, you know, because then when I go, go somewhere else, you know, there's the same kid somewhere, and they're out in the rural area, and he's working on the farm and loving it. Yeah. You know, this is one thing that's interesting about going back and forth between two different worlds, is I'm seeing the same people. In the different worlds. Like, I met a guy huh. in his 30s, and he raises purebred cattle. And he's very successful at it. I know he's Spectrum. Hmm. That is really interesting. Um, well, for anyone out there, um, is there, um, I, because people reach out to you, um, if parents are out there, have questions, want to contact you? Well, I um, do I answer mentioned- some questions. I have a website, templegrandon.com. Beautiful. And I'm... I answer some questions. I find a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of the frequently asked questions I already have answered on the website. You know, picky cool. eating and and some stuff, medications, stuff like that. I've got a lot of frequently um, answered questions, sensory problems. You know, um, and and I've got a really great person named Teresa. She reads all the mail, and she forwards on to me some of the questions. I can't possibly answer all of them. And we're finding about 70% of the questions are the same questions. Picky eating, toilet training, um, you know, just, you know, the, the, the just typical questions that come up over and over again. And, yeah. and I went to a couple of schools that had some good tips on toilet training, little kids. And one school that I went to, they, uh, they put those training uh, pants on them that turn color, and they find out on the, this is real ABA-ish, well, you know, like this kid, like, tends to pee every uh, two hours, this one every hour, this one every three hours, and then they crack that in the record, and then they just take them into the bathroom at that time. And then, mm-hmm. of course, if they just produce even the littlest bit, they're rewarded for it. The other thing is they're doing a lot of sustained effort on working on it, a lot of sustained effort and and uh, to uh, work on it. Also, uh, they have to make you got to make sure the kid understands what the task is. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to demonstrate it, and I'm on the radio, so I'm not going to go into detail. Yeah. <laughs> but all I can say is, you cannot leave out any of the any of the steps of the procedure. Okay, let's mm-hmm. say it's it's putting on your shoe. Well, you know, and, the, and it's a nonverbal kid, and you're just you know doing hand over hand putting on the shoe. You got to he's got to feel all the steps in the, in, the, in the procedure. Now, other higher-functioning kids can just see the steps of a procedure, but you cannot have hidden steps. They, right. don't, they don't get it. It's got to be continuous. Got it. I think that's a great, great advice for everybody. Um, thank you. I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, you know, for everyone, 
out there. Um, I just, you know, like I said, the number one thing we got in response was thank you. So uh, a big hearty thank you from our entire audience. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, it's really hard to <laughs> have too much to say after talking to Temple. Um, and like I said, I feel like she's really inspired me to think about a couple of things. The, the stuff she's in her book about brain scans and the history of the diagnosis and, and putting that perspective into the future is just is really fascinating to me and something I want to learn more about. Um, next week, we're going to be joined by uh, Mary Jane Weiss. Um, she's been a guest of ours before. I'm really excited to, uh, to talk a little shop and, and find out what she's been up to since she's uh, last on the show. Um, so as always, if you have questions, more info at autismtherapies.com or you could uh, comment on Facebook, just like so many of you did um, in response to Temple's being on the show and, and the questions um, that you posed that um, you had hoped to hear from her about. Um, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Take care, everyone. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.